Before we get into God's Word this morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've spoken to us through your Word. We thank you that all Scripture is given to us for our good. And we pray that you will help to speak your words into our hearts today. To help us to understand what it is some of the more difficult and confusing parts of your word have to say to us. Lord, we pray that you will bless this time that we spend hearing and reflecting on your word, that your spirit will plant it deep within us, that it will produce righteousness and a life that glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week in the lead up, or, you know, in the lead up to Easter, I said we we're going to take a look at the book of Leviticus, a book that tells us more about what Easter means than perhaps any other book in the Bible. Last week we had a bit of a look at an overview of what the whole book was telling us about God speaking to Moses as he stood outside the tent, unable to come in, and then starting the next week. Uh, starting the next book, the book of Numbers, with Mo- God speaking to Moses within the tent. And the movement of Leviticus being about people being able to have a closer relationship with this holy God who was living among them. So I'm going to read this morning, I'm going to read Leviticus chapter 1. Now we'll be looking at more than chapter 1, but I'm not going to read the whole seven chapters that talk about all of the different types of sacrifices or we could be here for quite a while. Uh, This is going to be quite an overview of the sacrifices. I've I've called our message this morning a Christian's guide to sacrifices because there's not going to be time to dig into each and every detail that could be pulled out. Uh, But this is going to give us a big picture of what God is telling us. So from Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, and this is God's word to us. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord." If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. 
You are to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash its blood against the sides of the altar. You are to cut it into pieces. And the priest shall arrange them, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water. And the priest is to bring all of them and burn them on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering. An aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you would offer a dove or a young pigeon. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He is to remove the crop and the feathers and throw them down east of the altar where the ashes are. He shall tear it open by the wings, not dividing it completely. And then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is burning on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. What do we do with that? Where do we go with that? I heard some of the shudders as I talked about wringing off the head of the bird. The truth is, this is part of God's word to us. But it's a world away from our experience of what it means to worship God. This whole system of sacrifices and offerings and aromas pleasing to the Lord is completely different to everything we've known about what it means to be a follower of God, to be one of his people. This has not been our experience at all. And yet Leviticus still has a lot to teach us about God and a lot to teach us about how we can please him and how we can come to him as his people. Now, I was reading recently... Uh, you know, uh, one of those articles online, you know, that you read when you're a bit bored. And, um, you know, it was talking about, like, nice things that dads have done for their, for their daughters. And one of the daughters was talking about this thing that her dad did for her, where, where he wrote a note. And on that note, he'd written something along the lines of, like, if there's ever something that you're scared to come and talk to me about, I want you to bring this note and give it to me. And if you come to me with this note, I promise that whatever you, you, you bring to me, I won't get angry and yell at you and we'll try and you know, work together as a family with this problem that you have. Now, I thought of that this week, that idea that no matter what somebody's done, no matter where somebody's gone wrong, do they know that they can come to their father, knowing that the father will still love them, the father will forgive them. And that's one of the key things that I think God is telling us through this passage about you know, cutting up animals in certain ways and putting the fat on the altar and, and all of these things, 
What God wants us to know first and foremost is come to me, whatever's happened, and we can deal with it. There's a way to deal with it. Now, there's one thing that I want us to keep in mind for this whole series of Leviticus that we're looking at. All of these things that we're reading about, all of these sacrifices, all of these things are not what Israel had to do to be saved. That's very important. This is not, if you do all of these things just right, then maybe I'll think about saving you. God has already saved his people from their slavery in Egypt. He's already leading them to the land that he had promised them. And God has already made his home among them, dwelling with them in a special way. And he was doing that through the tabernacle, a replica of which we can see there. And when it talks all this stuff about bringing the animals to the tent of meeting, means they'd come into this courtyard, the outer courtyard of the tabernacle. They'd come in there and that big boxy thing you can see there, the bronze altar, the altar of the burnt sacrifices. They'd bring their animals up to, to the tent, but they couldn't go in the tent. But they go up to the tent and there the animal would be sacrificed. There it would be slaughtered and put on the, uh, the, the bronze altar, the, the altar for the burnt offerings. And in that way, given to God. And inside that tent, the back third of it was where the uh, Ark of the Covenant was sat. And we call that, that place the Holy of Holies, the place where God sat on his throne, which was, which was the Ark of the Covenant. And in front of that, there was a veil, there was a curtain. And then there was the holy place where the priests could come in. And there are certain sacrifices that, uh, like when a priest sinned and he had to make a sacrifice, they would, they would slaughter an animal and he would come into this place and he would put some of its blood on the, the horns of the altar of incense. Uh, but there are other things that they would bring in there as well. They would, uh, there would be bread and incense and things presented before the Lord. And then the outer courtyard, that was where God's people could come. And they could bring their offerings to him. So the, the main point, like I said, that God has already saved his people. And he's already made his home among them. This isn't what Israel has to do to be saved. And likewise, we're saved. God has rescued us from the power of sin and death. Though we were slaves to sin. But likewise, we aren't perfect. We are sinners who will make mistakes. And so the sacrifices teach us about worshipping God about having relationship with a God who is perfectly holy when we are not perfectly holy. And there are five main sacrifices, uh, five main types of offerings, I should say, that these seven chapters of Leviticus dwell on. First of all, it goes through like five chapters of telling the people what you have to do when you come in to um, have your animals sacrificed and to offer it to the Lord. And then there's another two chapters where it goes over all of those same offerings again, but this time God's telling the priests, this is what you're doing through all of it. 
And I know we, we have a perception of Leviticus as a book that's um, full of repetition and going things over and over again, and there is, you know, there's truth to that. There is a lot of repetition. But through these seven chapters, it establishes these five offerings, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. And like the names of some of those, they sound very similar, and you wonder like how they're differentiated from each other. Now, there's three of them, the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering that teach us a lot, even teach like new covenant Christian people who don't go and sacrifice animals at church. They teach us a lot about sin and about forgiveness. Now, the burnt offering was the most common offering given. And like part of the idea of, of the burnt offering was that apart from the hide of the animal, which was given to the priest, everything from this animal was given to God. That's the significance of the whole lot of it being put on the fire. And it's all consumed by fire and in that way all sent up in that uh, phrase about an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now, I don't think that means God really likes the smell of really overcooked barbecue. But it's the idea that the, the sacrifice has been effective, that God is pleased with what the people have done. And so the burnt offering, the reason for the burnt offering, uh, the purpose of it was for atonement. Uh, Leviticus 1.4 tells us you to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. So the hand on the head of the animal just before they killed it signifies one, that this is their animal, that it belongs to them, that this is what they're giving to God and it signifies also that this animal is a substitution for them. This animal is taking their place that it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. Now, atonement's, again, not a word we use all that often in our day-to-day life. There's two real aspects to atonement, and we're going to look at both today as both come up in the sacrifices. The first aspect of atonement is about reconciliation of relationship with God. God is holy which means that God cannot abide sin. That sin, God is a God of complete justice. And for him to be just, he needs to uh, destroy sin wherever it exists. God's wrath, the Bible tells us, burns against sin. And so part of atonement is turning aside God's wrath against our sin. And the people of Israel were reminded in a very powerful and very visceral way. I mean, just it was visceral enough hearing about some of the, the things that they were doing to prepare the animals. Reminded them every time they came to the temple that the wages of sin is death. God's wrath burns against sin. And God's holiness means that sin must be dealt with for us to be able to have relationship with him. Now, the other aspect 
of atonement, which we'll look at in the moment, is that uh, we also need to be... Like, it's not just that we need to remove the, the, you know, God's wrath against our sin, but we've also been, like the, in the Bible's words, defiled. We've been changed. We've been damaged by the sin in our lives. We've been made unclean. And we need to be cleaned and set right and made righteous in his eyes. And the other, another thing we see is that the animals there to bring for an offering must be animals without defect. Don't just bring to God, you know, that, that one bull with a gimpy leg that is, you know, just a burden to you. Don't give God your, your throwaway stuff you don't really care about. The idea is we give, God from, give to God from our best. Our best time, our best gifts, our best, uh, the best that we have. And so as they came to God with, uh, with this burnt offering in particular, and they sacrificed it to God and it made atonement for their sins, it turned aside God's wrath against their sin as a substitute paid the price that their sins deserve. But we need to be clear, clear. The sacrifice of animals never actually took away sin. Hebrews 10 tells us, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. The blood of bulls and goats never actually took away their sins. So why did God tell them to do all of this stuff in this first seven chapters of Leviticus? Well, quite simply because God was teaching them about what would take away their sins. That what would take away their sins was a substitutionary sacrifice. That instead of each person dying for their own sins, there would be one who would be a substitution, that he would be sacrificed, he would be offered in their place. And that through that substitution, God's wrath against all of our sins would be turned away. In short, of course, atonement comes to us through Jesus. God, uh, this is from Romans chapter 3. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Through, there's that language of Leviticus. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, in his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. The people of Israel came and they sacrificed animals and sincerely, sincerely in their hearts seeking to glorify God. Now, the sacrifice of those animals did nothing to get rid of their sins, but because they were faithful and obedient, God left their sins unpunished. And so their sins, like ours, were counted onto Christ on the cross. 
when he took the sins of the world upon himself and became the substitution, the, the one that gave his life for others. Through faith in Jesus, we are reconciled to God. He did it to, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have their faith in Jesus. So from the beginning of God's relationship, of, of God's time dwelling among his people, he makes it clear to them, you are sinful and my justice demands that sin must be dealt with. But come to me and there can be forgiveness. Come to me, come to the place where I live. Come and bring an offering that will be given in your place. And so be reminded each and every time that you come that although all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that God will not punish and hold your sins against you, but that he will allow another to take your place. And through doing that, and that's why I said this book teaches us so much about what Easter means. When Jesus came, when he died on the cross, you can just imagine the disciples, well, probably they didn't really understand much at the point where he died. They were pretty terrified and, and hiding and all of that. But once he rose again, and once they understood what it was he'd done at the cross, you can imagine they would have looked back on Leviticus. And go, that's what all this was about. That's what God has been telling us from the very beginning. This is what Jesus' death means for us. So we can come, God, God tells us all, oh, we can come to him for forgiveness. We can come to him to be made right. But like I said, there's that second element of atonement, not just turning aside God's wrath against sin, but that sin affects us that it hurts us and it hurts those that we care about and it damages the world around us. The Bible tells us the world is decaying and has all of the problems that it has because sin has entered the world and has subjected it to frustration. And so for anybody who sinned unintentionally, God put in place the sin offering. And this was different to the burnt offering, which was just a recognition that we all have fallen short of the God's glory. But this was in response to specific sins. Like if you, if you, if you sinned and you realised, oh, I did that, that was bad. You'd come in and you'd bring your offering to God. And uh, part of it was given to God through uh, burnt on the altar. And the rest was given to the priests to be their share. The priests and the Levites uh, from the tribe of Levi, they were given no land in the promised land. They, they didn't have a place to grow their crops and to raise their animals. Their share came from the temple, from all of the offerings that the other 11 tribes would come and bring and offer to God. But the thing... One wonderful thing that the sin offering tells us is that God's forgiveness is for everyone. 
There's a sliding scale depending on, on what you could afford. Like if, if you were wealthy or if you were somebody who, you know, was fairly, your, your sin was fairly important, like it was fairly serious, for example, a priest, then you were to bring a bull and have it sacrificed, have it offered at the temple. But if you couldn't afford a bull, if you were just a random Johnny who, who didn't have that sort of money, then you could bring a goat or a lamb. Now, if you can't afford a goat or a lamb, because you're one of the poorer people in Israel, then you can bring in a, a dove or a pigeon and sacrifice that to God. And if you can't afford a dove or a pigeon, then you can bring in an FR, I forgot to check what an FR actually is, but you can bring in a measure of flour. And the idea is that forgiveness is for everyone, not just those who can afford it. God, remember, this is the same God who was more impressed by the widow who gave her two copper coins than the wealthy people who gave thousands and thousands to the temple. God didn't care about how amazing and big the sacrifice was. God cared about the heart of the person who was coming to him for forgiveness. And that hasn't changed. As much as the way we express it has changed, you don't come into the church here with a bull or a goat or a pigeon or even a big pot of flour. But we do bring our sins to God and we ask him for forgiveness. And forgiveness is for everybody. But it's on the heart of the person who comes to him for forgiveness. The sin offering shows us that God can cleanse us of our sin. That he, not, not just that his wrath is turned aside, but that we are actually made clean. That we are made right. That we are made holy and righteous. And the author of Hebrews expresses it in this way. We have confidence to enter the most holy place, enter God's presence by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. So it's not just that God's forgiven us and his, his wrath has burned against Jesus instead of us, but we should still always feel bad about those things that we did wrong. Our hearts are sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Having our bodies washed with pure water, that we are made righteous, that we are made holy. That God looks upon us and sees the righteousness of Jesus. But we also saw through, um, see through these sacrifices, sin doesn't just hurt us. That's why God instituted the guilt offering for those sins that have something to do with, with the way that we hurt others or the way that we affect the world around us. And you have, the idea was to pay off a violation against uh, touching any of the holy things of God while unclean. That was a big no-no. And the guilt offering was paid to restore those things. But also things like, you know, if you, if you stole something from somebody else or even like if, if your neighbour left you to look after your, their, their bull and it died, 
uh, and you're now kind of responsible for that. The guilt offering was that people would bring a sacrifice to God and, and they would recognise that our sins are not just against one another but also against God. But then also as part of that offering, they would offer, they would pay back what they owed to the other person plus an extra fifth on top of that. Um, probably with money. Like, I don't think they probably gave them one and one-fifth balls back, but um, one ball and then, then the extra amount in money. But that's a good thing for us to remember too, that sin and forgiveness is not just a me and God thing. My sin is not just a me and God thing. My sin affects other people. And although God will forgive my sin when I come to him, it's also right that we go to set things right with others. That we, as, you know, as God's people, that we care about reconciliation, that we care about setting things right when we have hurt the people that we love or even when we have hurt the people that we find it hard to love. We are to set things right between people as well as in our relationship with God. But I want to finish this time looking at these, this whole area of sacrifices with a reminder that not all sacrifices were about sin and forgiveness. There are two offerings that were quite different that were just brought voluntarily to give back to God from the bounty that he has given to his people. There was, oh, excuse me, there was the grain offering where, like I said, the, the yeah, they'd give the first fruits of the land back to him, but also at any time if they had been given a lot from God, they could give some back to God. And this would be like this would be all of the bread that the priests would get to eat. So this was also their portion that God uh, was given to them through the people. And they could be uh, could give flour, or they could turn it into bread or cakes, but uh, with no yeast or honey in it. And a small amount of it was burned, but most was given to the priests. So, I mean, the, the grain offering is, is fairly straightforward, but the one that I really want to finish on today, because I think it's important, is the fellowship offering. Now, when somebody came to offer a fellowship offering, it was given out of thankfulness. There were the, there's three reasons given that you might do a fellowship offering. That one, you just want to show your thankfulness to God. Two, that you'd made a vow and that vow has been fulfilled and now it's time to, uh, to sort of honour that with this sacrifice. Uh, or just, you know, out of free will because you want to. Now, unlike the other offerings, you could, the, this, there wasn't a sliding scale on this one. You couldn't bring in doves or a bit of flour. It had to be uh, from, your, from the cattle or from the flock, from the sheep or the goats. And the reason for that was because this was... This one was all about sharing. This offering was all about sharing it together. And along with the animal to be offered, they'd bring uh, cakes of unleavened bread and, and wine and all of these sort of things. And the, whole, the family would come with this offering. And even other people from their community, like maybe those who couldn't afford to do the sacrifices themselves. Uh, and and a, whole, a whole group would come together to the temple and this offering would be given and then the, the, the family uh, and, and the priests 
would sit together and they'd eat this meal and a part of it was given to God as well through, you know, the, the burnt, um, like through the altar of the burnt offerings. And the picture is of people coming and having a meal with God in his house. God invites you to come into his house and sit and eat with him. And part is given to him and part is given to the priests who are representing him and going between him and the people. And the picture is of this relationship that God wasn't just there to sit in the middle of his people and tell them what to do, but that God was there to have relationship with his people. That the whole reason he wanted to come and dwell in the middle of his people was because he wanted to be family, to have them come to him. And so the shared meal was, it was a celebration, it was festive, it was about community, it was about relationship with God and his people, it was a celebration. And it makes sense of when we read things like uh, this in 1 Kings chapter 8, just after they've um, built the temple and, and they're having a big celebration for the temple. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord, 22,000 cattle, and 120,000 sheep and goats. Now, I don't know if you've ever read something like that and thought, gee, he was showing off. Like that, that seems an excessive number of sacrifices. But the idea was he sacrificed enough that everybody could come and join in, that this was a feast for the entire nation to celebrate in relationship with God That at this point that he had a new home where he could dwell among his people. The purpose of God dwelling among his people was to have relationship with them. You picture it like, well, assuming you get along with your relatives, like that Christmas Day lunch where, you, you get a lot, like, where, where everybody gets together and it's a big celebration and it's a fun time and there's lots of food and everybody's enjoying themselves. God is with us. The loving Father who wants to have a relationship with his children and to, to be among those that he loves. And in a way, we kind of have a similar meal of fellowship with God and with his people. Um, and we're going to do that in just a few minutes. Now, it feels a bit different for us because we don't actually have it as a full meal, not, but the early church did. And it was a big celebration. It was a big meal. And we did that one time and that was great fun. And I'd love to do it again, but maybe after COVID and all of that stuff. But coming around to the Lord's table is a celebration of the fellowship we have with God because of Jesus, because of the, the land that was given for us. And so in finishing, reading about sacrifices and priests and altars and wringing the heads off doves is pretty confronting and pretty out there and daunting and unfamiliar and just seems a world away from our relationship with God. But just be reminded from this morning that it's about God wanting us to know that we can come to him for forgiveness and that our sins can be dealt with, that we won't have to pay the price our sins deserve. It's about God wanting us to have relationship with him in his presence. The sacrifices point us to Jesus, the one who was the substitutionary sacrifice 
who bore our sins and made us right with God. And it points us forward to a time that the Bible calls the wedding feast of the Lamb. A time where God's people will celebrate and party and have fellowship and meet together and God will be with us and we will be his people and we will see him face to face and we will enjoy relationship with him and with his people forever. And that is what Leviticus 1 to 7 is wanting to point us towards. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do tend to struggle when it comes to sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and guilt offerings and all of these things that are not part of what you've made uh, part of our covenant with you, the covenant you made with us through the blood of Jesus. But we trust your word when it says that all of scripture is for us to teach us. We pray that as we see these sacrifices, that you will help us to see in them a God who wants to forgive his people and give them a way that their sins can be forgiven and a God who wants to have relationship with his people, a relationship that we enjoy now through what Christ has done for us on the cross, but a relationship we look forward to enjoying fully in the kingdom of God. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing, What Can Wash Away My Sins? Nothing But the Blood.